0: I admit I was probably a little bit foolish to bite off so much scripture into one topic. I should have known right away that this would be a part one and part two message. Um, and intellectually, you can squeeze this much material intellectually into one message. But from the heart, there's so much to cover. And I really want to give it its due order. So technically, this is freedom from anxiety, part one. And this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And I confess up front, I'm going to say that a lot as we journey through the Bible together. There are so many favorite passages of mine, and the Word is living and active. It, it affects us. Each Scripture affects us differently in each season we find ourselves in. But this is special to me. I, I remember reading this Scripture early in my walk as a Christian, and it just really deeply affecting me. And prayerfully, it will have the same effect on you guys today as we examine these truths. So just to take a look at the bigger picture one more time, we've been discussing the kingdom of God as we've been going through the gospel, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount specifically, and how the citizens of the kingdom of God should look different than the people who are only citizens of this world. And since verse 19 we've been looking at how being a part of the kingdom of god affects our daily life not just how our lives look like on sunday mornings when we're in church or we're at an outreach like we were at yesterday for the block party but how we live if i were to just show up at your house what are you doing how what are you thinking about how are you feeling what are you experiencing what does your life look like then and let me tell you, if you guys understand and apply the messages, that, the, the truth, rather, of the scripture we're covering this morning, it will make your life look radically different than 90% of the people you know. And I only say a number as low as 90 because you all know Arvid. Arvid exudes these truths. He has <laughs> yeah, since the day I met him, and he have been an inspiration to all of us in the way that you live this, but... But this is something that the world around us doesn't grasp. I mean, while the Bible gives us a framework to not be anxious or to be worried that we're gonna be discussing over the next two weeks, anxiety is a major problem for those who don't know Christ as their savior and Lord. In fact, during the first nine months of the COVID-19 pandemic, a record 50% of US residents reported having depression. And a record 44% of that same number of people reported having anxiety, according to one study. Which is, by the way, six times the national average in 2019. And no doubt it's because so many... Oh, and also, I almost skipped this one. Adults age 29 and younger, their anxi- they, they reported to experience anxiety as high as 65%. That's a lot of people. You consider how many millions of people live in this country. And your heart just breaks for that. And no doubt it's because, especially for people about my age, I'm just a little bit older than that study, 33. And that... And really, too... 2020, this COVID pandemic, this was really the first time somebody my age and younger really experienced a real threat to our mortality, where we had to really contemplate the, the temporal nature of this life. I mean, I wasn't around with any kind of memories for the Cold War or the Vietnam War or anything like that. Some, some of you guys have better memories and, and, and might have some full experience of that, but people my age and younger don't. I've met people who are too young to really know what happened on September 11th. We should remember these things, that there's a lot of people who are growing up without those lessons. And so people my age and younger, you know, they have no reference point. They haven't processed these things, which is probably why these numbers are so high for this last year. And so we, we, I think that's a major reason, but what... While that seems to explain the massive spike in 2020, the problem of anxiety has been on the rise for a number of years before this. One study concluded in 2018 that they found that the constant media exposure to anxiety-provoking world events was causing this trend. Once again, further demonstration that probably the best thing for many of us would be to smash our cell phones and to turn off the TV. I think some of us would be better off but, but what do we do? Do we just sell all of our goods and move to a monastery? Historically, that's been disastrous, especially for the church. So, no, we're not going to do that. And while I think that some unplugging efforts, I think, would be beneficial for our culture, I don't think that's the answer. Rather, let's see the answer that Jesus gives us. In our text this morning, as I will reiterate what he said in verse 25, he said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? By the way, this verse begins with one of the most important and special words in the Bible. Therefore. Therefore, you know, it's, um, look, I didn't have the best grammar growing up in school. I always lost points on my papers, even in college for losing points for grammar. But everybody knows you don't start a paper with the word therefore. It's, it's a word that's simply used to connect the premise to the conclusion, So Jesus isn't starting a thought here. He's continuing a thought. And he does this all throughout the Gospels. And so do the other writers of Scripture. So every time we see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to ask what it's there for. Every time we see the word therefore, we have to ask what it is there for. And so, what's it there for? Why shouldn't I be anxious about my life? Well, look at the preceding paragraph. Let's see what Jesus' thoughts were that were leading into this, therefore. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up your treasures in heaven. That you can't serve both God and money. And I think that that's part of the answer here. As he goes on to explain, part of the answer of why we are anxious is because our treasures are in the wrong place. Now, I'm not going to reteach the sermon that I did a few weeks ago on this same topic, but uh, I remember, but if our treasures are in the right place, we would be less anxious because the stuff that we treasure wouldn't be subject to a place where moth and rust destroy. And I told you two weeks ago, a a hypothetical scenario is if I bought a boat, which with my income right now would be absurd. And I would be obsessing over this treasure that I have invested in. Spending all of my time and energies getting to know about it. And terrified when we have a storm like the one that we had the other week. I'd be terrified, is my treasure okay? Full of anxiety. But if I treasure heavenly things, the things of God, the things that God cares about. If I treasure people and the things that are important to God... I'm not as worried about the stuff that happens down here or my stuff. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, um, I, get, I get a lot of prayer requests, and so many of them are for financial provision. And when I, when I ask about the situation, I don't always get the opportunity to have these conversations. But often I, I'll hear stories of people being just overwhelmed by bills. People who have fallen behind on their credit cards. People who have $500 a month car payments. Five or six figure student loan debt. And I'm anxious for them. Hearing hearing these crushing situations. And so just to reiterate Jesus' point in this preceding paragraph. Your decisions about money can absolutely cause you anxiety. But when you live your life by biblical principles, you can avoid a lot of those. I mean, just read the book of Proverbs. You'll see how many times it talks about debt, for instance. And it's always in a negative context. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't call it sin, but it does call things like that foolish. It should be something that we should be careful with. So just, I mean, just think about it for a moment. So many people that you and I know... Will take out a loan to buy a car they can't really afford, to drive it around to impress people they don't even particularly like, just for the status of it or for, what, or for a number of reasons. That's not wisdom. That's a recipe for anxiety that will just eat up your spiritual and mental energy. And you know, I use the car as an example, but it's so many other things. It's 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 our clothing. It's people who need the brand name stuff every and new things all the time. Whatever, whatever it is in your life, whatever treasure it is, it takes the same place in your heart. And in short, if you, what Jesus is saying is, be careful not to lay your treasures on earth, or it will lead you to this anxiety. But there's another component to this, because anxiety is not just produced by, good fi- by not making good financial decisions. There's a far more fundamental issue at stake here. And so I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit more into our passage this morning. I'm going to have to spend more time unpacking the specifics of it next week. But in verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, yet yet they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? In short, my friends, we forget God. We forget that there in our Anxiety in our worry, in our busyness, in this crazy Northeast culture that we find ourselves living in, we forget that there is a God who loves us. And we forget all of his promises throughout Scripture to take care of us, to provide for us, to be there for us, and we just get overwhelmed in our own anxieties and fears and worries. We ought not to because the Bible is chalk. free full of beautiful promises to provide us comfort in those difficult hours. Hebrews 13, God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Matthew 28, Jesus is with us until the end of the age. Philippians 4, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Romans eight twenty eight, for those who love God, all things work together for good. The Bible is full of passages like this. I could spend my whole sermon time just reading passage after passage to reiterate this point. The Bible is not unclear that God is going to take care of you, no matter what. So let me be clear, when a Christian's heart is full of anxiety, It demonstrates a lack of trust in God. When the Christian's heart is full of anxiety, he he or she is demonstrating a lack of trust in God. You are declaring in your heart that you don't actually believe these promises. And I want to make this clear that I'm talking about a sanctification issue here. In the lens of that three tenses of salvation we talked about just the other week. This isn't about what you have to do to be saved. You might believe in Jesus with all of your heart and have all of your sins cleansed by the blood of uh, of our Savior. But in this area of your life, in this place of your heart, you are functioning like an atheist. Acting as if there is no God who loves you and is going to take care of you. And my call to you this morning, church, each of us, is is if this is you to challenge those assumptions to those areas in our heart that are not yet sanctified, those areas where we're living like an atheist, to see and re-examine if we really do trust God, if we really do want to live with Him. Because, you know, honestly... It's one thing to know the answer to the question now. You all intuitively know the answer to what I'm asking. You know What I'm interested in is what you really believe. You know, not how you respond in a church on a Sunday morning while the pastor is talking. There's kind of a few lead-ins of what the answer is here. What's it like in your living room? What's it like when you sit down with your checkbook? What's it like when there's a challenge presented to your marriage? What happens when there's a financial challenge or a medical challenge that terrifies you to the core? How do you respond then is really the question I want to drive at this morning. Now, I don't just stand up here as somebody who has no experience on this subject. I do. I have gone through trials and seasons of my life that have truly been awful. And I just remember going through one particular season just pouring out my broken heart to God one night. And through just that deep pain and worried about some serious potential significant loss I could experience in my life. Through that pain realizing God is enough. That if I lose everything I have that's meaningful to me now and I still have my Savior, and I still have the promises of His Word, it is enough for me. I can say, even then, it is well with my soul. That God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever that he is faithful that he is good that he is all of those things that we talked about When we discussed trials a number of weeks ago, and we went through the book of lamentations together I took a hard look at those promises and realized I truly do believe them And it made all the difference to me as I went through that trial And it didn't have a fairy tale ending by the way God doesn't just make all of our problems go away when we trust him He's with us in them. We hear that a lot in Christian stories, you know, whether it be from the pulpit or Christian media, Christian movies, you know, the person, you guys know the story, the person trusts God and then everything turns out wonderful. What was he worried about? That's not always the story. It often isn't. Often it's more like Daniel chapter three, where Daniel's three friends oppose the king, asking him to do something completely unbiblical. And he threw them into the fire. But those of you who know the story knows what happens. There was a fourth man in that fire. Where Jesus came alongside them. And was with them in the fire. He didn't take the fire away. He was with them in the fire keeping them safe. That's what I see when I read the scriptures. That God will be with us through these trials. Whatever they are. He has proven himself to be faithful every step of the process and he will in your life as well so think about it this way life is like being on an airplane now this might cause anxiety to some of you guys but you have you basically have no control of the situation when you're on an airplane whether you are the biggest nervous wreck possible (laughs) <laughs> or you're the most arrogant and proud person in the world. How you feel has nothing to do with the, how the airplane is going to ride. That's all up to the pilot. But I'll tell you what, how much you trust the pilot will completely affect how you experience that plane ride. If you are that nervous wreck, even though you can't control the outcome, you will be terrified from takeoff to landing. The whole experience is going to be miserable. But if you trust the pilot, you will be relaxed from takeoff to landing. You will hit turbulence in the middle of the flight and you will think to yourself, I'm sure the pilot has handled this before. I'm sure the pilot will handle this again. I'm sure I'm going to be fine. When your pilot is Jesus Christ in the metaphor of life, that's how we experience life. God has brought so many through so much. He will do the same for you because you too are his child. He too loves you. And has, again, has promised over and over again that we can trust him and to provide for us. So how you respond to that turbulence of life, to torture the analogy one last time, how you respond to that turbulence of life demonstrates the kind of faith that you have. How much we trust God. And as we evaluate our lives in the light of the challenges that we face. In light of the trials that we as individuals have faced. What does that say about your faith? That's a personal question to write down and think about. We don't always like the answer. But it's a powerful and good question to ask. So I have one final exhortation and then I'll close. I actually want to read one more scripture this morning. From uh, the book of Romans, chapter eight, verses thirty-one and thirty-two, because so I think this really puts the exclamation point at the end of today's sermon. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, with Him, graciously give us all things? for anyone still doubting in their hearts will can i trust jesus with the things that cause me anxiety this should be the final nail in that coffin of doubt if god is for me what can possibly stand against me if god has promised to take care of me in that in that machine gun firing of Bible verses I did earlier, in all of those places, and then some. That was a very abridged reading of all of God's promises. If God has promised all those things, who is going to undo them? Who's going to render those promises false? But the most exciting part to me was actually verse 32. That God did not withhold his own son for you. What does that say about God's ability and willingness to take care of you? Think about it. He showed that he is able through the cre- most deep, devastating of loss to himself, the death of his own son, to take care of you in your deepest need and your worst hour of sin. And it shows his willingness. I know we... Some people struggle with the doubt of, okay, I know God loves me, but does he like me? Is God? I know God, I know that there is a God, but does he care about me? Yes, he does. He who did not withhold his own son from you, will he not also give you all these other things he promises? You see the point Paul is making here. The length he will go for you. We can look to the cross to see how much he loves you. We can look to the cross to see how much Jesus is committed to you. We look to the cross to see what Jesus is willing to do for you. And we see that he is worthy to be trusted in all areas of our life. So my friends, in in the words of 1 Peter 5, just to kind of bring us to a close this morning... Cast your anxieties upon him this morning because he cares for you. He is able and willing to handle your anxieties. Bring them to him and let's see what God will do this week. Amen, church. Amen.